Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. Welcome back. This is episode 22 of Music and Murder, which now has a brand new picture if you didn't notice. This one depicts the show a little better, I think. So I've missed you, and I hope that you missed me at least a little bit. This is a long ass gruesome story, so this will be the shortest intro that I've ever done. And it is a part two, so if you haven't listened to episode 21 yet, Please go back and listen to it, otherwise you will be lost, and nobody wants that. So without further ado, this is part two of The House of Horrors, the story of Fred and Rose West, which is the most horrific case that I've ever heard, next to maybe Jeffrey Dahmer. It's kind of like this story happened, and England decided to call it the most gruesome case of the century, and Jeffrey Dahmer said, hey, hold my beer. However, in my, uh, my honest, honest opinion, this case is much worse. You decide. It is now 1973. Fred and Rose West, so far, have killed Fred's first wife, Raina. And while Fred was in jail for GTA, which for all of you non-gangster goody-goody motherfuckers means Grand Theft Auto, Rose had killed Fred and Raina's seven-year-old daughter, Charmaine. 
after many months of torturing and sexually abusing her. Right before Rose killed Charmaine, she sent a letter to Fred in prison stating, and I quote, I think Charmaine likes to be handled rough, but dear, why do I have to be the one that do it? I can, I can now see Charmaine coming out in Anne-Marie, and I hate it. End quote. And if we remember, if you remember, I remember, if you remember, Anne-Marie is Fred's only real biological daughter that he had with Raina. In fact, through the whole story, it is his only biological daughter that at least is proven. Now, Charmaine was about two years older than Anne-Marie, and Charmaine was rebellious for a seven-year-old. So having that bit of fight in her is likely what got her killed. The exact manner in which Rose killed young Charmaine does remain a mystery, but her remains are found, and she was tortured she was bound and gagged, decapitated, and her legs were removed from her, tor her torso. As we will soon find out, this was Fred and Rose's M.O., which, of course, means method of operation. And just to recap, Fred had suffered two horrendous head injuries by this time, and in 1972, on January 29th, Rose and Fred were married. And just about a year and a half later, on June, uh, I couldn't find the date, in June of 1973, when Fred's daughter Anne-Marie was just eight years old, the two raped Anne-Marie repeatedly. Rose had set on her face laughing while cheering Fred on. And then, when it was all done, they did it again. They left her bound and tied for around two to three hours. And they went up there and they did it again. And then, Rose told Anne-Marie that everyone does it to their children. But nobody talks about it. Kind of sounds like what Bill, her father, had told her when he was raping her. So the vicious cycle just continues, right? Everybody does it, but nobody talks about it. Anne-Marie is currently still alive in July of 2023, as I am recording this. And she wrote a book, well, at least... She wrote a book with somebody else and published it. And the book is called Out of the Shadows. And it confirms all of this. I did not read the entire book, but I did read many, many parts of the book. So if you'd really like to understand what she went through, you can read the book, obviously. Again, it is called Out of the Shadows, and it is by Anne-Marie West. Honestly, how this girl made it out of the situation alive just boggles my mind completely. I have no idea how she still survived. When Fred would rape and molest Anne-Marie, which was often, 
He would tell her that she was just made from his flesh and blood, so he had the right to do whatever he wanted to do to her. Fred told this to all of his daughters, every single one of them. And he also told them that someday they would all have one of his babies and that it was a father's job and duty to impregnate and teach his daughters how to have sex properly, therefore preparing them for their future husbands. There are some cultures where this is customary for the father to take the daughter's virginity, and that is a very horrible truth. It is also a truth and tradition that is still alive and well today in 2023. I will refrain from stating the ethnic group that practices this because to some of you, I'll sound like a racist because the world we live in these days is pretty fucked up and we have to be afraid to tell the facts, right? Cancel culture, go fuck yourself. Just four years later, when Anne-Marie was 12, Rose forced her into prostitution. Now take that in for a second. She's 12 years old. She had been raped for four years by her own parents and now she's being forced at the age of 12 to prostitute herself. 12-year-olds in America are busy going to the movies and Starbucks and Bulba and all this other shit. And their kids, their kids. Anne-Marie never really got to be a kid. She was just raped and then turned into a prostitute. Now at this time, they lived on 25 Cromwell Street in Glasgow, England, in a three-story flat, which I will call a house, because we don't call houses flats over here. So now Rose actually had a room just for her prostitution practices. That, of course, included 12-year-old Anne-Marie. And of course, Fred, whenever possible, via a secret little peephole, would be in the closet jerking off and sometimes, sometimes even videotaping the sexual activities, especially when his 12-year-old daughter was actually performing sex acts for money. Rose never allowed Anne-Marie to do sex work without her being in the room in fear that she may lead one of the clients into knowing what was really going on, that she was being forced. As if any of these cocksuckers would have done anything anyway. Most of them probably would have got off on knowing that she was 12 and knowing that she was being forced to have sex for money while good old dad sat in the closet filming it. It's all just fucking disgusting. Now let me just backtrack a little three years earlier. In 1970, Rose and Fred had their first child together. Her name was Heather Ann. Now remember, Anne Marie was not Rose's child. As I reiterated, I just want to make sure that you understand. Her name was Heather Ann, and Heather was quite a little fighter 
kind of like Charmaine before she was killed by Rose. She didn't let Rose and Fred bully her, rape or molest her without a fight. Of course, there was nothing that she could do, but she could fight. There was a lot of speculation that Heather was actually Rose's father, Bill's interbred child. But I personally do not think that she was. After everything that I read and watched and stuff, I think that she was actually Fred's real daughter. By the way, speaking of Bill, he didn't just fuck Rose before and after she was with Fred. He also was a bona fide schizophrenic, which likely had nothing to do with him sexually abusing Rose, beating Rose or any of that, but mental illness can definitely be inherited and passed down from generation to generation. So it could have had something to do with Rose's mental instability, her mood swings, her sex addiction, which, which she most definitely 100% had, along with being one of the most sadistic people that I've ever studied. And that's saying quite a lot about this bitch. And like I said before, Rose and Fred were married in 1972 on January 29th, my birthday. Like Fred's first marriage to Raina, who he murdered, nobody showed up except for his younger brother John. It was that day that Rose's name changed from Rose Letts to Rose West. And just a few months later, on June 1st, Rose and Fred had their second daughter together. The date of her birth made them decide to name her May-June. Kinda strange, but is anything really strange when discussing Rose and Fred West? Now, to be clear, May was actually spelled M-A-E. They did name her May because of her birthday, but at least they did change the spelling. Now, back to 1973, the first boy in the now five-member family was born. And even though many things that I researched dis disclosed all of the children's names, I'm just going to call them the children. Now, all of the children were subjected to incest and pornography. There, there were full-blown parties where the kids were paraded around as sexual objects, and sex with dogs and the kids were in full swing. Surprisingly, there wasn't said to be much drug use, as Fred and Rose didn't really drink or do drugs. Although their house on Cromwell, 25 Cromwell, was raided for marijuana on three different occasions. Not one, not two, but three different occasions. But none of these raids ever led to anything significant. They never went to jail or was arrested or anything. I couldn't find anything else on these raids, but apparently the English police didn't like people smoking weed. However, they definitely didn't do much about 
all of the tips that came in stating that Fred and Rose were fucking their own kids and people were disappearing around them and that they were forcing their 12-year-old daughter into prostitution. No, getting stoned was way more important to the English Glasgow Police Department. Of course, later, they do act on a tip, but we have much more to discuss before we get to that point. Now that the family had this big house in Glasgow on 25 Cromwell, complete with a top loft for renting out and a bottom cellar, they were all set for torture, murder, and even some Airbnb action way before the app obviously existed. And bet your fucking ass that they would have been all over that app, with cameras and peepholes in every wall. Not to scare any of you Airbnbers out there, but it's the truth. Their lives literally, and I mean literally, and I'm trying not to overuse that word in this episode, but their entire lives existed around sadistic and perverted violent sex. Everything that they did was sexually and or sadistically motivated. Rose basically never wore clothes. And she damn sure didn't let the kids wear clothes. Life was a fucking whore porn movie combined into a big ginormous slice of hell. But not for Fred and Rose. Not at all. They were living their dreams. They were living their best life. Rose even wore a key on her belt that was just made for locking down the entire house, as well as the yard. This place was a prison for these poor kids, as well as Rose and Fred's other victims. So it's now 1973, as I reiterated. They are living in their last home that they will ever own on 25 Cromwell Street in Glasgow, which was their third home, their, their third home with their first being the motor home, the second being a two-story home in Gloucester, I think it's Gloucester, on Midland Road, which is where Rose murdered Fred and Raina's daughter Charmaine while Fred was locked up for GTA. I know it's a lot, so for you people who were gifted with a real good memory, please bear with me as I have to reiterate on some things because this stuff is important to comprehend and remember, and not everyone has a good memory. Not to mention, it's impossible to tell the story without jumping around a bit. I wish it were as simple as merely telling a chronologically ordered story, but this one is obviously not one of those. But I'm trying my best. So again, things are good for the West couple. They've already killed two people, one being a seven-year-old girl that Rose and Fred were both sexually abusing, and the other, her mother, Raina. And they were married. Rose and Fred, meaning they were married. They now had five kids, and their oldest, which was Fred and Raina's 12-year-old daughter, Anne-Marie, was making them good money, being forced to fuck 
disgusting old men. So these two, these two, <laughs> these two fucking evil people were happy. They were also engaging in many orgies and threesomes because just raping their kids and everything was not nearly enough for them. No, they needed to have sex all the time. Most participants that had sex with Fred and, and Rose were women, and the survivors said that it was never about sex for Rose. It was about inflicting pain and suffering. There were homemade wooden and metal dildos in every room, which should remind you all of episode two, the David Parker Ray story. Rose liked to receive pain as well, but she absolutely loved to inflict it. Many women that had sex with Fred and Rose never ever wanted to do it again. And they were usually terrified from the experience. Now how the fuck these two even got women to have sex with them just blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. On one occasion, a woman who wanted to remain anonymous, obviously, stated that she showed up to have sex with the couple, and upon entering the room, there were two young girls that were obviously drugged and could barely even open their eyes. These girls were naked and bound with their hands behind their backs. The women were forced to watch Fred and Rose have sex with these young girls. And the woman wasn't sure, but she thought that they were the couple's young children. Now, after raping these drugged girls, they then raped her as well. Needless to say, this woman didn't come back. Unfortunately, she was also too afraid to call the police as well. The fucking English police probably wouldn't even have showed up even if she did file a complaint. Unless, of course, she said that weed was involved. Fucking cops piss me off a lot. They should piss you off, too. If you really think about it, police, politicians, DMV workers, and all these fuckers that get paid no matter what, they don't really ever do their job. Okay, I'm pissing my high blood pressured ass off. We need a second. In the brightest hour of my darkest day, I realized what is wrong with me. Can't get over you. Can't get through to you It's been a helter-skelter Romance from the start Take these memories That are haunting me Of a paper man Cut into shreds By his own pair of scissors He'll never forgive her He'll never forgive her
another good time with another girl little dirty girl you should listen to this story of a life you're my heroine in this moment i'm lonely fulfilling my darkest dreams all these drugs all these women i'm never forgiving this broken heart I looked around everywhere trying to find a knife for summer. I mean, I looked at the axe. I had a, a chop axe, chop. And I, I mean, I could have no way I could touch it to touch her with it. Not that case or with anything like that. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. So I went. I, I looked up and I see this knife stick, and it got like two prongs on the end, two sharp points comes out on the end of him, and then it got big serrated edges all along it. You could saw blocks of ice with. And I got that, and, and I tried it with the big ones first, and and it, it was terrible, man. It was, I, I'm sweating, I'm, I'm just about everything that's going on this time. So I finally managed to do, do it, to take her head off, and then her legs, and that was unbearable. I mean, I can hear that now in my sleep. I wake up very often screaming when I can hear that, that go in. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Fred West speaking about killing one of his daughters. I will tell you which one in just a little bit. Before that was a song called Forever by P. Roach. If you'd like to message me or get info on the show, 
please go to the IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast and follow the show and please subscribe. This is a good podcast. Actually, the best podcast and I'm not biased at all. We left off with me explaining how Rose was mentally ill and a sex addict who was both sadistic and masochistic. Sadoism is when people like to inflict pain and being masochistic is when you want to be dominated or inflicted with pain. Now Rose West is the most sadistic female that I have ever studied or even heard of. She physically abused everyone, especially her and Fred's children, every single chance that she got. She was jealous. She never really wore clothes. Her and Fred had sex with their children in front of their children, and they had sex with each other in front of their children, and she even greeted people who came to the house for regular legitimate reasons with no clothes on or panties or anything. Even when the amazing Glasgow Police Department came over. This is in the police reports. In October of 1972, the West hired a 17-year-old nanny named Caroline Owens. I won't have time to talk about every victim that they had or their backstories, unfortunately. However, Caroline Owens is a victim that I must discuss. Once she was at 25 Cromwell and working for the West, of course, she was hit on by the couple, and they tried to have sex with her on multiple occasions. After a couple of weeks, Caroline quit the job and left the house, very unsatisfied with Caroline leaving and knowing that she was an avid hitchhiker, the couple found her on December 6th, just a couple of months later. Rose and Fred pulled up beside Caroline and they apologized for everything. And they actually talked this girl into coming back into their house and working again. And of course, they talked her into getting into the car with them. Being that young Caroline needed work and was very unhappy with her home life, she accepted their apology and she got into the car with them. After Caroline was in the car, Rose exited the front of the car and jumped into the back seat with Caroline for what Rose called a girl chat. And of course, Rose began to fondle her once Caroline refused Rose's advances, Fred slammed on the brakes, stopping the car immediately. He turned around, he called Caroline a bitch, and then he reached over the seat and beat Caroline until she was unconscious. Rose and Fred then gagged Caroline with a scarf and duct tape. This was their main M.O. They loved to duct tape their victims and use a scarf for binding and tying them up. They even had a signature way of tying their victims up, which was 
they always made the ends of the scarf a bow. Kind of like a Christmas present. And I want you to remember this. It's very important later on in the story. Very important. Now after they subdued Caroline, they then, of course, of course, spent the entire night raping this poor girl. They also drugged her, but I can't find anything official from the police reports or anything about what kind of drug they used, but I'm assuming it was a type of benzodiazepine-like volume, because the Xanax was around then, but I'm pretty sure that it was uh, Valium. I said Valium. I meant Valium. The next morning, Caroline was still gagged up and tied. Fred went in and told her that if she didn't do everything that he and Rose told her to do, he would leave her tied up and gagged and let his black friends sexually assault her on a daily basis. And when there was nothing left of her, she would be tortured and killed, decapitated, and buried under the paving stones in Gloucester where many of his victims were. Caroline obviously agreed to do as she was told. Fred then untied her and she began to clean the house as if everything was okay. Later that day, Caroline and Rose went to a laundromat and Caroline escaped for good this time. She went back to her parents' home and she told them about what happened with the West family. And a police report was filed and the Wests were arrested and they were charged with assault, bodily harm, and of course, rape. They were tried in Gloucester Court on January 12, 1973. But by this time, Caroline didn't want to face them, so she refused to testify. Rose and Fred pled guilty to assault and causing bodily harm and was fined 50 fucking quid. You gotta love the 70s. When Caroline heard that they paid the 50 quid and walked hand in hand out of the courtroom, she tried to kill herself by overdosing on pills. This was not the only time that Fred and Rose will walk from the courthouse after being charged. Now really fast, going back to Fred threatening Caroline with letting his black friends sexually assault her. Fred was obsessed with black men. And I touched on this in part one. Fred was so obsessed with black men that he would take the used semen-filled condoms. Again, let me say that a little more clear. He would take the semen-filled condoms from Rose having sex with black men, and he'd make his daughter Anne-Marie keep these condoms in her vagina until they had a few and then he'd mix the semen up and insert it into Rose's vagina. To Fred's delight, every one of their children besides Anne-Marie and Heather 
were all half black. I'm telling you guys, you can't make this shit up. I mean, I guess you could if you're Stephen King, but if you did, nobody would believe it. Now, three months after beating these charges, the couple committed their first murder together as a team. The first murder of seven-year-old Charmaine was done by Rose by herself. The murder of her mother, Raina, was done by Fred by his self. So this was a milestone for the couple, right? They never killed anybody together until 19-year-old Linda Goff. On April 19, 1973, Goff moved into the West home on 25 Cromwell. It was that night, that same night, that the couple raped and killed her. And we will get into the way that she was killed when we discuss her body being found, along with the others. But I will say this, there was a scarf with a bow involved. There is so much more to this story that I want to tell you, but two long episodes is all I can stomach. So we're going to skip ahead now to 1986. 13 long, long years away. Rose and Fred's oldest daughter, 16-year-old Heather, was being raped and beaten so badly by Fred and Rose that she had to quit school. She had to actually quit school. And she began secretly searching for work so she could escape the house of whores. She put in applications for a cleaning position in a nearby city, and it seemed promising. And she packed her bags and everything and told all her siblings goodbye, and she got ready to leave. Right before she left, she was notified that the job was no longer available. She really freaked out when when she received this news, obviously. Now this whole ordeal This whole leaving and looking for jobs and everything really upset Fred. And you do not want to upset Fred. And suddenly, just like that, poof, Heather just vanished. Fred and Rose told everyone that asked different stories about Heather leaving the house. Some of these stories included Heather joining an international drug ring, and some stated that she became a sex worker, but all of the stories stated that Heather had checked in from time to time to let the West know that she was okay. So she, you know, they would say she called, we saw her, etc. The story that they told their children, the other children, was a little different though. That story was more of a threat. It went something like, you kids behave or you will end up under the back patio like your sister Heather. This story was repeated and repeated until lots of the children's friends began to even know about it. So Heather is never heard from again. Days, months, and years come and go. 
It is now May of 1992, and one of the West children, 13-year-old Louise, was raped by Fred. And now, with this new technology out there, Fred began recording the rapes of his children. Rose was not present during these particular rapes with Louise for some reason, but when Louise told Rose about the rape and the video camera, Rose said, well, what do you expect? Everyone does it. Remember that? Everyone does it. That's what dads do. Same thing as she told Anne-Marie when Anne-Marie was just 12. In August of 1992, just a few months later, Louise confined in a classmate that she was being raped by her own dad. And that classmate told a teacher. And that teacher called the police. But this time, the police finally did do something. They finally searched the house of horrors on 25 Cromwell. They found a treasure trove of incriminating items, such as 99 videotapes, 99 videotapes of Fred and Rose having sex, sex with each other and other people, Rose having sex with multiple objects, from fruits to all kinds of sexual toys to just about everything that would fit. Also on these tapes was Rose defecating and urinating on multiple things throughout the house, including their own fucking dining table. They found sex toys in every single room, even in the children's rooms. Bondage stuff, rubber suits, handcuffs, and just multiple torture devices throughout the house. However, however, they did not find any proof of the raping of their children. But Louise was strong. She held to her story and told the police that her father actually began raping her when she was just 11 years old. Louise was sent to the doctor where this abuse was confirmed. Once this happened, Fred was arrested and the other children were all put into foster care immediately. Fred tried to force his oldest son, Stephen, to take the blame and say that it was him that was raping Louise. At first, Stephen refused, but after Fred threatened to kill him, Stephen told the police that it was him. Luckily, the police didn't believe that shit for one second. Now we will be right back with the part of the story that is gonna be the part that you're never gonna forget, ever in your entire life. We will be right back after this mattress commercial. Just kidding, this is actually a good podcast. We don't do commercials, and we don't dance. That's an inside joke for Kyle. Hi, Kyle. Here's The Mess by Supermodel Suicide. The guitar is a little loud, but great tone. 
I hope that you dig it. I've talked about how bad this episode is and how it is one of the most heinous stories that I've ever encountered. And now I'm going to tell you why. You see, the manner in which the torture and the deaths occurred in this story is something that I've never witnessed. And I've done some really logical thinking about this case and why the victims that were killed were found the way that they were found. And it is something that truly gives me nightmares. Me, 
the dickhead dude who's either playing music or listening to stories of misery and death, had nightmares from the things that I learned about this case. However, that is just me. Some of you might not give two fucks. We're all different. The Dahmer case didn't bother me, nor did the Bundy case. John Wayne Gacy, a little. And I'll never, ever do a show on any of those huge profile cases, by the way. And I'm not trying to build this shit up, just so you know. I'm just saying that this personally got to me. That's all. Okay, so when we left off with Rose and Fred's daughter Louise telling a friend about the sexual, physical, and psychological abuse, that led to an investigation and a search of the house on 25 Cromwell Street in Glasgow, England. Many things were recovered, including jars of ash, which proved not to be human remains. Fred explained to police that the ashes were from Rose's semen-stained panties. You see, Rose would usually use a condom as most sex workers, but not all. And usually, when she let men come into her, it was black men. And they would leave sperm in her that she would leak onto her panties. The West would then take a picture of Rose holding these panties, show the cum stains, and then they would write the date on the picture, and then they would burn the picture and the panties and keep the ashes. Besides their MO for how they mutilated and disposed of their victims' bodies, this was the only thing that I would say was ritualistic that I noticed that the couple ever did. It seems stupid to us, but maybe to them, it meant a lot. It was obviously very important. I also believe that within those ashes could have been videotapes of Fred sexually assaulting his children, but nobody will ever know. I'm not really buying the underwear story though, just to be clear on that. I kind of think that's a bit bullshit. Why would you burn underwear in a picture? Doesn't make any sense. But not a lot in this case does, right? After the house was raided and Fred and Rose were arrested, Rose was allowed bail and Fred was not. Now there was one English officer that I would actually like to commend and talk greatly about for once. Now all the way from 1986 to when Heather had bruises and stuff at school before Fred and Rose, or at least Fred killed her, Officer Savage, who was a female officer in her 30s, was amazing and she was relentless. She knew that the Wests were demons. She never let up. She led the charge during the final raid at 25 Cromwell in Glasgow, England in August of 1992. 
Officer Savage knew of the little saying about Rose and Fred telling the children about them possibly ending up underneath the back porch with their sister Heather. So she seriously really wanted that fucking backyard dug up. The dig began in February of 1993 and when Fred heard about the dig, he immediately confessed to killing Heather and to two other women, which was from the clip that you heard earlier. The back patio was big, around 20 to 30 feet, so it took a while, especially because it was pouring down rain during the dig. Remember, this was England in February. So they bring Fred out of the jail, take him to the dig, and he immediately immediately recants his confession. So to all of you super sleuths out there, why would he do that? Well, they were obviously not close to the bodies, not in Fred's opinion. They were there, the bodies, they were there. They just weren't where they were digging at at that time. But little did Fred know, these police officers were not going to stop until his entire backyard looked like a fucking swimming pool installation, especially with Officer Savage being an awesome savage on this case. So they dug and they dug, finally on day three, being it was raining so hard they finally found something right underneath the back bathroom window in a pool of the smelliest sludge possible. They pull out the first human bone. It was a femur, which is the largest human bone that there is. It was identified immediately as a woman between the age of 15 and 25. Slowly, the bones kept coming, but it was tough to pull them out, and the rain kept filling the holes right back up as fast as they were digging. When I was reading about this part, memories of the swimming pool scene in the movie Poltergeist kept flashing through my head. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. The bones that were slowly being pulled out were separated into three parts with a few, a few missing small bones that were never found. The three parts were the skull, the torso, or in this case the backbone and ribs, and then the leg bones. Although time and decomposition left the leg bones askew and not whole. The bones belonged to Fred West's daughter, 16-year-old Heather, who had been missing for around seven years. As I stated, the bones did keep coming out and coming out. Finally, another femur bone was discovered, and the officer that was pulling out the bones, Officer Knight, stated, and I quote, either we just found the world's first three-legged woman, or there is 
more than one body buried here. End quote. Spoiler alert. It's now 2023, and there still hasn't ever been a three-legged woman discovered. Although with all the chemtrails and shitty chemical infested food that we eat, that could change really fast. Now Heather's body wasn't just cut in the three parts. The coroner's report stated that she endured, endured an immense amount of trauma pre and post-mortem. Fred barely, barely cut her neck and then twisted her head off, ripping and tearing her flesh, her tendons, and the muscles in her neck. And her jaw bones and her neck bone were just cracked and broke all the shit. If you remember the clip earlier, Fred spoke about being sweaty and how much physical work that it was to get her head off. He was literally ripping the head of his 16-year-old daughter off with his bare hands. Fuck. I mean, just fuck. Also, her fingernails were pulled out of her fingers and thrown into her makeshift gravesite, which means that they were pulled out while she was still alive. Now, right next to Heather's body was the body of an eight-month pregnant woman named Shirley Robinson. Shirley was pregnant with Fred's baby, but this made Rose more and more jealous as time went on. So they tortured and killed her. Her head was covered completely with duct tape, and she was bound from behind with a scarf tied in a bow, just like I spoke about before. The baby that Shirley had in her stomach was beaten as well. Its tiny body had many cracks and breaks in the bones. It was a baby girl, and these two monsters beat Shirley's stomach and broke her bones into bits while Shirley was still alive. This was pre-mortem. The last body buried at this particular site, as Fred called her, Shirley's mate, after stating that Shirley was a lesbian, which doesn't make much sense, being that she was eight months pregnant with Fred's baby. In fact, this enraged Rose so much that she tried stabbing Fred to death while chasing him throughout the house. Fred slammed the bathroom door shut just in time to escape the stabbing, but Rose stabbed the door, and in doing so, she nearly lost three fingers, but unfortunately, the doctor saved them. But she was at least left unable to close her right hand completely, so that's kind of good. Now, the body of Shirley's mate, as Fred called it, was never identified. And still to this day, 
it remains a mystery who she is. After hearing of the three bodies being discovered, Fred admitted to killing nine women who were buried on the property. The decision to utilize special radar equipment capable of detecting disturbances, disturbances in the ground inside the house was authorized and it worked. Now Fred's estimation of the nine bodies was accurate. There were five more found in the basement emerged in the same sludgy muck as the other ones and there was one more body under the ground floor bathroom. The bathroom that Fred added on after moving into the Cromwell house. In 1993, between March 5th and March 8th, police found all six bodies buried inside of the home. Altogether, between 1967 and 1987, Rose and Fred killed 12 women almost all under the age of 18. To me that number is shy by around 20. I believe that the bodies in and around the house were just there out of convenience. Two bodies were also located off of the property in a field that Fred used to play at when he was a child. It was called Letterfield. Back to the bodies in the home on 25 Cromwell. The bodies all had 11 to 12 wraps of duct tape around their heads, and they were all tied in different ways, and all with a bow at the end of the ties. The bodies were all mutilated, and all had broken bones, and were likely broken pre-mortem which means they were all still alive, of course. Some showed signs of being hung from the ceiling, and one body was even found with a slip-knotted noose. Now, here's the worst part of the whole story. Three of the nine bodies had a 17-inch, or close to 17-inch, tube protruding from their nasal cavities, which was the only part of their heads that was not immersed in duct tape. Why 17 inches, you ask? Well, these three bodies were found under the cellar concrete around a foot deep. It's not officially proven, nor can it be at this time, but these women were buried alive. They were raped, beaten, bound, raped again and again, and then placed in a very shallow grave to await starving to death. No sound, no sight, just silence, starvation, and suffering for days on end. For the first time on this show, I am at a loss for words, just completely. When I first read this, I stopped reading and I just sat there for about 10 minutes, speechless. Again, these women were buried alive 
with a tube sticking out of the ground into their nasal cavity to where they had to breathe until they just finally starved to death. Now, I believe that these were the girls that fought the most and pissed Rose off. Rose and Fred did this to them and then went into their room and slept like a baby. And then after these girls passed away, they poured lye on them, which is why there was a sludgy, mucky liquid around all the bodies and no flesh at all. All of the bodies had a few bones missing and they were never recovered. And Fred and Rose both would never ever speak of what happened to these bones or why they kept them. But we know why. They were trophies. Most of the bones were either kneecaps or clavicle bones. Now the date and the names of the murdered victims that were identifiable were murdered in the order as followed. July 1967, Anna McFall. She was the woman Fred killed while she was eight months pregnant while he was married to Raina. Ironically, Anna was the first to be killed and the last body to be found. She was buried next to a pond by where Fred grew up. January 6, 1968, Mary Bostholm, a 15-year-old teenager that Fred raped and strangled in his car. This is the only victim Fred was not charged with and would make the death toll 13, but there simply wasn't enough evidence to make it official. June 20th, 1971 was the date that Rose, that Rose killed Fred and Raina's daughter, seven-year-old Charmaine, who was found in the same field as her mom, just about 20 feet away. August of the same year, 1971, is when Fred killed his wife, Raina, Charmaine's mom, when she came looking for Charmaine. April 20th, 1973, is when Rose and Fred finally teamed up for their first sadistic kill, and the victim was 19-year-old Linda Goff. About seven months later, on November 10th, same year, they killed 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper. She was one of the victims that was buried alive. A month and a half later, still in 1973, Fred and Rose killed 21-year-old Lucy Partington. She was also one of the girls that was found in the cellar buried alive. April 16, 1974, they murdered Therese Segenhaler. They picked her up while she was hitchhiking. She was also buried in the cellar but she had no indication of being buried alive. Just a lot of broken bones, a hole in her skull, and the hole looked like it had been done by a hammer. And she was the one buried with a noose. So she was obviously hung. The same year, on November 15th, they murdered eight-month pregnant Shirley Hubbard, 
who was actually pregnant from Fred, and the baby was smashed to bits. As if they intentionally beat Shirley's stomach just to punish her and the unborn baby. This was likely done out of jealousy by Rose. April 12, 1975, they killed another hitchhiker named Juanita Mott, who was 18. May 18, 1978, the couple murdered 15-year-old Shirley Hubert, who was a runaway and looked to seek shelter from Rose and Fred. She was the other one buried alive. August 5th of 1979, they murdered 16-year-old Allison Chambers. She was found in the West Backyard Garden. Many of her bones were missing, more than the others, and she had a leather belt tied around her head in a fashion that would keep her from being able to open her mouth. Allegedly, Rose and Fred didn't kill again until Fred killed his own daughter, 16-year-old Heather. Heather was the first body found, and like most of the others, she was cut into three pieces and missing many smaller bones. She was the first body to be found and the last to be killed, which is the opposite of Anna McCall, who was the first to be killed and the last to be found. Why Fred and Rose ever quit killing for nine years before Heather is anyone's guess. Maybe they just got older and got lazier and maybe they got paranoid. When Fred killed Heather, supposedly this was the only time that Rose was upset because it is said that Rose actually loved Heather. As if that bitch actually even knew what the fuck love was. There's so much more to come, including one more death in the main parts of the trial that you absolutely cannot miss. Sit tight. I guess that's all she wrote I found a goodbye note But it's no big deal Now I just need to clear my head Everything she said But it's no big deal Cause she never made me smile she never drove me wild And she never took my breath away And she never did me much She never did me nothing She never made my heart sing No, I don't miss a touch Not every single day so I know I'll be okay Never loved her anyway No, I never loved her anyway So I 
dream I won't go start no fights Maybe just tonight Because she never made me smile She never drew me wild And she never took my breath away And she never did mean much No, she never did mean a thing She never made my heart sing No, I don't miss her touch Not every single day So I know I'll be okay I never loved her And all the pictures on my phone Nothing but a memory And I don't wonder what went wrong I'm just glad that she moved on And she'll never be the death of me And she never did mean much She never did mean a thing she never made my heart sing, no And I don't miss her touch Not every single day So I know I'll be okay I never loved her anyway I never loved her anyway I never loved her anyway Never make me cry. No, she'll never make me cry. I'm glad she said goodbye. Because she never made me smile. That was Never Loved Her Anyway by Yours Truly as if you didn't recognize that horrible voice. It's available on all platforms if you would like to stream or buy it for a buck. If I sell like 20 copies, I could buy a cup of coffee. Homeless people with no jobs make more money than musicians do off the recordings these days. I'm so glad I started doing this shit while I could still make money. Speaking of people making money, my good friend and ex-bandmate Dave Eskew, who wrote one of Ace Frehley's singles, singles titled Outer Space, will be the guest on the next episode. He told me the other day that Ace has a restraining order against him now, so this should make for a pretty, pretty good discussion, I think. So watch out for that. Please leave good reviews. Um... If you like the show, follow the show and share it, share it if possible. Sorry, I can't talk right now. Okay. So 13 bodies were found and Fred West was going to trial with Rose. This was now 1994. They actually got to sit kind of sort of by each other in the courtroom and make a little contact as far as like gestures and hand signals and stuff like that. Fred was a lot more affectionate towards Rose than she was to him. 
Fred went to trial even though he had already confessed to everything, so he didn't really have much to lose. Rose was still pleading not guilty and fighting her case. She was using her childhood sexual abuse and her psychological stuff for her defense, of course. And she stated that she knew nothing about the murders that happened all over her house. Fred's oldest daughter, Anne Marie, sealed the deal with her testimony against Rose. Two weeks later, afterwards, Anna Marie tried to kill herself overdosing on pills. And then four years later, Anna tried it again by throwing herself off of a bridge. She did live, and she did write the book Out of the Shadows that I spoke about earlier. I highly recommend it. It is a, is a good read. I didn't read the whole thing, but I read a good portion. In June of 1994, in the court of Gloucester, I think it's Gloucester, Fred was convicted for 12 murders and Rose was convicted for nine. They both received life in prison with no possibility of parole, of course. She is still alive and well right now, today in prison. You can write to her. And for all of you super true crime people who know about child killer Myra Henley, well, the two of them became lovers in prison and were known as the gruesome twosome. I can only imagine the stories they must have shared. Fred and Rose's son, Stephen, I mean, excuse me, Stephen, tried to hang himself multiple times and was jailed for raping two different underage girls. And I mean very underage, but he is still alive. Fred's younger brother, John, the only one that really loved Fred and went to both of his weddings and was his best man, hung himself in his garage in 1996. While awaiting a verdict for raping his niece, Fred's daughter, Anne-Marie. Even though he was dead, the jury still found him guilty. Fred and Rose's youngest son, Barry, also took his own life in October of 2020 via intentional drug, drug overdose. He did it on purpose left a note and everything. And finally, on January 1st, 1995, Fred West hung himself in his jail cell. At his feet was a note that read, in loving memory, Fred West and Rose West. Rest in peace where no shadow falls. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose, his wife. And one last thing, every day during the trial, Rose wore a different knitted sweater. Though they were different colors, every one of those sweaters had one commonality. They all had a piece of knit 
undone and tied into a nice little bow facing the side that Fred always set so he could see it. And with that, we will talk soon. I'd say I love you guys, but I don't even fucking know 90% of you. Well, probably 99%. But I will say this. I appreciate the hell out of you. I appreciate every one of you for listening to this show. Thank you very, very much for your time. And please, please, always remember, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean that they're not out to get you.
my mom, cause I'm my mom My mom love Gallium, now what I am is a party animal I am what I am, but I'm strong to the finish with me volume spinach But my bars only last about two minutes But I don't wanna swallow it without chewing it I can't even write to rhyme without you in it My Valium, my Valium Man, I never thought that I could ever be a drug addict Nah, fuck that, I can't have it happen to me But that's actually what has ended up happening The tragedy, the fucking passing it up catching me And it's probably where I got acquainted with the taste, ain't it? Pharmaceuticals of the bomb, mom, beautiful She killed the fucking dog with the medicine she done fed it Feed it a fucking aspirin and say that it has a headache Here, want a snack? You hungry, you fucking rat? Look at that, it's a Xanax Take it and take a nap, eat it But I don't need it, well fuck it, then break it out Take a little piece and beat it before you wake Nathan ass Alright, now you win, I don't feel like arguing I'll do it, pop it, gobble it, start wobbling Stumble, hobble, tumble, slip, trip Then I fall in bed with a bottle of meds And a Heath Ledger bobblehead My mom love Valium and lots of drugs Hella hard, homie. Yo, take us on out of here.